Isn't that awesome? All right. So Chris Pratt uh, gave that acceptance speech at the MTV Awards earlier this year. And I'm grateful when good people of faith talk about their faith in appropriate ways. You know, my daughter Anna works in Hollywood, and I'm finding that there are good people of faith in every industry. And you're a good person of faith in your industry, whatever you do in life. And I encourage you to live your faith and in appropriate ways to speak about your faith. But I found it interesting that as he was speaking to the next generation, he felt so motivated to tell them that God is real and that God loves them and that God wants what's best for them. And I found it interesting that he felt so motivated uh, to tell them that they have a soul and that prayer is good for their soul. And I found it interesting that he would remind them that they are imperfect and in need of grace, paid for with somebody else's blood. But you know what else I found interesting? How much controversy surfaced after this acceptance speech. You may not know this, but it sparked debate and quite a bit of outrage on social media. Many people even laughed at him. And they spoke about how naive he was and how unintellectual it was to believe in a spiritual realm. Why is that? Because there is a way of viewing our world that has been going on for hundreds of years now. And it's a way of viewing our universe and our world and our place in it that only sees the physical, sees nothing beyond that. And that worldview is called by its adherence, naturalism. And naturalism says there is nothing in our universe beyond the physical. And the famous astronomer, uh, Dr. Carl Sagan, who also hosts a popular TV show called Cosmos, he has a saying that I believe captures the beliefs of naturalism well. This is what he says. <coughs> the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. In other words, there is nothing apart from the physical realm. There is no spiritual realm, there is no spirits, there is no miracles, there is no soul, and there is no God. Now, now I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, pastor, you know, I don't believe what he's talking about. I do believe in all that stuff. But I'm concerned that naturalism has influenced the way we view our relationship with God in subtle ways. I think that naturalism has impacted us more than we may realize. It's impacted the way, we, the way we feel about how God interacts in human affairs, and I think it maybe even impacts our motivation to pray. So in preparation for this uh, series, I read a book called Fearless Prayer by Dr. Craig Hazen. He's a professor of apologetics at Biola University in Los Angeles. And he shows in this book how naturalism has influenced our culture and even influenced believers in how we view God and how we view prayer. And he challenges people in his book to learn how to pray fearless prayers. And fearless prayers are prayers where you risk asking for something great out loud and boldly. Fearless prayers are where you risk asking for the extraordinary, maybe even the miraculous like moving a mountain. And he confesses his own wrestling with praying fearless prayers. 
It's, it's like it, he has to deal with his own intellectual, uh, anti-supernatural bias. And so in his book, he talks about how he overcame some of his predisposi- uh, predispositions uh, to feel unmotivated to pray. And one of the stories he tells is about how one of his former students helped him understand prayer in a better way. So one of his students is named Kojo. And Pastor Kojo came to the United States to study, but he's a pastor now in Ghana, West Africa. And when he visited the U.S. after being a pastor for numerous years, he met with Dr. Hazen, and he told Dr. Hazen amazing stories of miraculous responses to prayers. People with a dire of physical illnesses miraculously healed. He even described what happened when a young boy who had died was brought to their church, they laid hands on the boy, and he came back to life. Now, I'm messing with you. I don't know how you feel about all that stuff. And so Dr. Hazen asked him, why do you think that you see more miracles like those in your setting than we do in the U.S.? And uh, Pastor Kojo's response was very interesting. You know what he said? He said, well, it's because you have 911. <laughs> Follow me. He said, look, when something desperate has, happens or tragic happens, you call 911. We don't have 911. I mean, 911 is a good thing, but he said, we don't have it. And so we have to turn to God. And this is what he said. This is a great quote. So we pray a lot, a lot more than you do here because God is our first and often our only hope. And God often shows up in a powerful way. He doesn't heal everyone we pray for. Not everyone is safe from harm. Not every need is met. But we pray often. And because we pray often and we put our trust in God, we see amazing things happen on a fairly regular basis. Now, don't misunderstand me or Pastor Kojo. If something tragic happens, call 911. Okay? Because that is an expression of our culture's compassion for those who are suffering. That's why we have EMS technicians prepared to come alongside us. But I do think we can learn something from our friends in other countries where they don't have 911 about the God who will do extraordinary things through ordinary people who will dare to ask him for fearless prayers. You see, people who pray fearless prayers are willing to risk asking for great things boldly and out loud. People who pray fearless prayers ask because they have an ultimate trust in God. And people who pray fearless prayers recognize that prayer is their first response, not their last resort. So if there is power in fearless prayer, and God does extraordinary things through fearless prayer, prayer, how come we don't pray more often? Or maybe not even at all. Well, maybe you you would say, you know, Pastor Brennan, I know y'all been talking about this prayer stuff, but... Maybe you feel unworthy, like you've done too many wrong things and that there's no way that God would listen to you, and so you just never ask. Or maybe, maybe the reason you don't pray is because you did pray before, but you felt like God didn't answer your prayer, and so you just stopped praying altogether. Or maybe the reason you don't pray is more of an intellectual one. You think, well, you know, if God's almighty... And all powerful, and he, if he's all loving and he, want, he wants what's best for us, you know, like Chris Pratt was talking about, then why does he need me to pray? Why didn't he just do it? 
So in this series, I'm seeking to stir faith in your hearts to believe that there's a reason why God wants us to pray and that there is a living God, there is a spiritual realm, and we can see spiritual power invade this earth through extraordinary prayers, fearless prayers. You see, Jesus began an extraordinary movement he called the church. And his plan was to leave this extraordinary movement in the hands of ordinary people. But he taught his followers, those who were going to lead his movement, that though they were ordinary people, they could see extraordinary things if they would ask for great things in his name through fearless prayers. And we know that on two occasions at least, Jesus used the metaphor of moving mountains, of moving the seemingly impossible obstacles to cast vision that his followers would believe that through prayer they could do the extraordinary. And then after giving them this picture of moving mountains, he taught them an important truth and made a significant promise about prayer. And we've looked at it every week. This is John 14, verses 12 and 13, where Jesus said, <coughs> Very truly I tell you, whoever, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I go to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask for in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, whoever can ask for whatever in his name. Are you a whoever? Are you a whoever who believes that God can do whatever? Folks, if we, if we get this, that we are whoever's, and we start asking for whatever's, we're going to see great things happen. We're going to see mountains move. Now, we don't move the mountains. God moves the mountains. But this is what I, I want to address one of the questions I brought up earlier. Why do we need to pray? God has chosen on the earth to only work through human beings. So if you can imagine, there are many mountains that God wants to move on the earth, but he's waiting for somebody to ask him so that he can work through somebody on the earth. It's why Jesus came. God works on the earth through people, and that's why our prayers matter. Now, moving mountains does not mean you'll never face challenges in life, pain in life, sickness in life, trials in life. In fact, the very, face, the very fact that Jesus taught us about moving mountains implies that we're going to face mountains in life. But moving mountains means we will not face those obstacles alone or in our own power. Moving mountains is about believing I am a whoever. Can you say that? I am a whoever. Moving mountains is about believing that God can do whatever. And moving mountains is about believing that ordinary whoever's who ask for extraordinary whatever's are going to see great things happen when we ask in Jesus' name. But we whoever's, we're not going to do these whatever's on our own. And so in the same context of trying to, to stir faith in his followers' hearts to believe that they could really ask for whatever in his name, he made another promise. This is John 14, beginning in verse 16, where Jesus said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive him 
because it isn't looking for him and doesn't even recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promises as a part of this prayer movement that he's stirring within his followers that he would send his Holy Spirit to live in us. And the Holy Spirit is the same divine spirit who lived in Jesus when he was on the earth. When he left the earth, he sent the spirit that was in him, God's divine spirit, to live in us. And if you notice, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. And the Holy Spirit will empower us and guide us, all of us whoever's, so we'll know the whatever's that God wants to do through us, through prayer. And so according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in us so that we ordinary whoever's can ask for extraordinary whatever's in his name. And, and I hope you, you, you get the, the picture of all that's going on. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit to be with you, to help you in the same way that I helped you when I was on the earth. I'm going to send my spirit to help you now. This is a spiritual connection through the spirit. Okay, now I'm going to put it all together now. You ready? That's why all this naturalism stuff matters. That's why Jesus said the world can't receive him because they don't even believe in him. They don't believe in the spiritual realm. They're certainly not going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so I am stirring faith in your hearts to believe in the spiritual realm, to believe that God wants to fill you with his spirit, that God wants to guide you into truth, and that he wants to prompt you to ask for extraordinary whatevers. And when you see him move mountains... It's going to bring you joy. Now, Jesus, at this point, this is a long conversation. These are like his last words with his disciples. He paints a picture to help us envision our relationship with his spirit. And so in the area where the disciples were at this point, there were vineyards all around them. And they could see on these vineyards branches connected to the vines bearing a whole bunch of grapes. And so Jesus took advantage of what they had just seen and he painted the picture that he wanted to help them so that they could envision their relationship with his spirit when he sent his spirit. You ready? This is John 15, 5. <clears throat> this is what Jesus said. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here Jesus pictures himself as a vine and us as branches. And what he's talking about here is us bearing fruit that flows from him. He's talking about us taking the same power, the same spirit that was in him, and, and continuing his work on the earth. I mean, that's, that's why Paul calls us the body of Christ. Once his body left the earth, we're now his body. But he's, he, didn't, he didn't stop working. He seeks to work through us. Now, we are his body on the earth, and what uh, Jesus is picturing here is our spiritual connection with him that leads to a fruitful life, and a fruitful life is a meaningful life. A fruitful life is a purposeful life, and so Jesus is casting vision for us whoever's to bear the whatever's, the fruit that he wants to bear through us, 
and by that to glorify his Father. Now, for us to bear the fruit that Jesus wants to bear in us, according to Jesus, we have to remain in him. He's not talking about like losing your salvation or anything. This is not talking about how you get right with God. There's nothing in this passage about that. This is about how to live a fruitful life as a believer. At this point, he is only speaking to the 11 believing disciples. And he's talking to them about how they will live fruitful lives. And he said, you have to remain connected to me. To, to, to uh, listen to me, pray. That's why this whole prayer thing is so significant. And I will lead you through my spirit. I will guide you to know the whatevers to ask for in my name. And as we ask for those whatevers, he bears fruit in our lives. And as we do those whatevers, whatever he calls us to do, we bear fruit. And that's how we live a fruitful life, a meaningful life, a purposeful life. But we have to remain connected to him. And so how many of you know you can be a believer of God, a child of God, but you can sort of walk away from your faith? You can get disconnected. And again, he's not talking about losing your salvation. He's talking about getting disconnected from the vine. And when that happens, you stop bearing fruit. I've been there before. Where I went my own way. I thought that way would be better. I thought it would make my life better. It didn't. You want to know when I, remembering that season of my life, I felt it. I felt myself shriveling up. I could feel it. And it's not... I knew I was a child of God, but it was like I was just shriveling up on the inside. What, was there temporary pleasure, pleasure in the things that I pursued? Yes, but it's not the same. It's not the same as a fruitful, purposeful life. And so if you've gotten disconnected, I encourage you to return to the vine and get reconnected to him through repentance and confession. Repentance is where you turn from going your own way and you reattach to the vine and you choose to live his way. And then confession is where you confess whatever sins you've done and he promises he will forgive you. He promises he will restore you. He promises that he will bear fruit through you. And with this beautiful picture of a fruitful life in mind, Jesus once again makes another promise about prayer. This is uh, John 15, 7, where Jesus says, So if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask, what does he say? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Okay, I think Jesus wants us to get this whatever stuff. How many times does he have to say whatever to us, whoever, so we get it? And, and, let, and let me just say, let me, let me, can I explain the whatever? He's not just saying, yeah, whatever. It's not the whatever he's talking about. When he says whatever, he's saying just don't limit what I might lead you to ask for. And, and then Jesus gives two conditions to the whatever, doesn't he, here? He says, one, you got to remain in me. And we talked about what that meant. Uh, that's the picture of the vine and the branches. But secondly, he says, and my words have to remain in you. And there he's talking about his teachings. We have to learn his teachings and live in his teachings. That's a part of us, whoever's being, being able to ask for whatever in his name. And so Jesus is casting vision for us, whoever's, to be vitally connected to him, to live out his teachings, and to ask for great things in his name. And when we do that, this is what he says. He says we will bear the same kind of fruit in our lives and in what we do that he bore when he lived here. I mean, come on, grapevines bear what? Grapes, 
So we're going to bear the same kind of fruit that he bore. That's, and so here Jesus is making sure we understand this, whoever asking for whatever, it's not a free-for-all. It, Jesus is not talking about, yeah, all you whoever's go and ask for whatever, whenever, and however you want. That is not what he's talking about. He's talking about a vital connection with him so that his spirit guides us and teaches us and helps us live in the truth and then gives us promptings where we as whoever's feel prompted to ask for whatever in his name through his spirit. And that's why it's so important for us to become a praying church. And the kind of church movement that moves mountain is the kind of church movement that is a mountain-moving church that prays reckless prayers. Jesus began his movement, and then he entrusted it into our hands. And he's calling on us to be a mountain-moving church. And we will only be a mountain-moving church if we pray fearless prayers. And when we do that, we extraordinary, we, we ordinary whoever's are going to see extraordinary whatever's happen in Jesus' name. And so that's why during this series, we've, we've agreed together as a church to pray and fast for 21 days. And my hope is that after we spend 21 days praying and fasting, that prayer then becomes a habit. That's my goal. Okay? My goal is that we, we keep on praying every day. Because that's how you live as a branch, seeking to bear the fruit of the vine. Always listening to what the Spirit is saying to us. And always being willing to do what we feel like the Spirit is prompting us to do. And so, keep on praying. Never stop. And pray fearless prayers. Be willing to risk asking boldly and out loud for great things. Whenever He prompts you to do that. And if you will continue the habit of praying... I believe you will see mountains move. And when those mountains move, it's going to encourage your faith. This is what Jesus said in the same conversation. This is another promise Jesus makes. This is John 16, 24. He said, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be full. That's what happens when whoever's Ask for whatever in his name. We experience the joy of his spirit. And that's what I want for you. And so I encourage you to ask for great things. Pray with fearless prayers. And if your mountain hasn't moved, keep on asking. This is what we learned last week, right? John talked about it uh, to us. And this is straight from Jesus. Jesus told a story about praying uh, prayers with shameless persistence. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And you keep on asking and seeking and knocking until either God moves the mountain or until he gives you a sense of clarity about that mountain. That's what I mean by that. I want to acknowledge that God doesn't promise to move every mountain. Sometimes God's spirit is going to speak to us and tell us to climb a mountain or to endure a mountain. Sometimes fearless prayer is God move the mountain. But sometimes fearless prayer is God help me to climb that mountain. On the night that he was arrested, Jesus went into a garden and he prayed fearless prayers. And he asked God his father to move a mountain. The mountain of his impending crucifixion. 
And Jesus prayed for what he wanted. He said, Father, please find another way. Please remove this cup from me. Please move this mountain. Please find another way. He told his father what he wanted, and that's okay. It is okay. But when he sensed his father was not going to move the mountain, Jesus prayed another fearless prayer. Do you remember what it was? Not my will, but your will be done. And then he climbed that mountain. And on that mountain, he was crucified. And on the cross, he died to pay for our sins. And when he did that, he moved the greatest mountain ever, the mountain of our sin debt. And through faith in Jesus, your sin debt has been paid. The mountain of your sins has been removed. If you will believe in him, it will move. Doesn't matter how big the mountain is. His death is enough. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus and what he did for you, I invite you to do that today. That's how you first get connected to the vine. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer of faith. You ready? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for what you have done for us. We do believe you are the son of God. We do believe you died on the cross to pay for our sins and that you have risen from the dead. And so, Lord, I, I lead some today who have never put their trust in you to put their trust in you today. And so if that's you, I want to invite you to just whisper this prayer with me. You ready? God, I believe in you. I do believe you love me. And I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to remove the mountain of my sin debt. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we stand in faith looking to you. We believe in you. And Lord God, I ask you to do what you promised. You promised if we would put our trust in your son that you would wash away our sins, that you would remove the burden of the, the, the burden we feel of our sin, guilt, and debt. And I pray that you would release us and let us feel the cleansing of your spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you. And I, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit as you promised you would do in Jesus' name.